Well, Pastor Matt asked me to speak a few weeks ago, and uh, I'd been reading in the Old Testament in Samuel about David and Goliath, and I thought, hey, yeah, I haven't heard about David and Goliath in a long time, so that'd be good. I'll preach on that. If you're here last Sunday, Larry from Camp Shamanaw talked about David and Goliath, and so I sat in the, pew, in the chair, and I thought, now what do I talk about? <laughs> okay, God. So I said a lot of prayers last week, um, but I hope he's given me something that I can share with you that will um, help you in your Christian walk. There are a lot of pictures in the Bible, um, pictures that describe who God is, pictures that help us understand the character of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, it describes God as a consuming fire. Now, is God really fire? No. It describes his holiness. He's holy, so holy that he consumes. In Psalm 23, God is our shepherd, a picture of his tenderness. John 10, 11, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Matthew 23, Jesus laments over Jerusalem, saying how he wants to gather them as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Is Jesus a chicken? No. This is describing his tender compassion for Israel. He came to be a sacrifice for their sins as the Lamb of God. In Revelations, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. Shows he's strong and powerful. We are God's children. Describes the kind of relationship that we have as Christians. We're also called sheep. I don't know what he means by that. Sheep are dumb. Maybe I'm dumb. Well, there's one picture in the Bible that's very special to me. And living in Minnesota, at this time of year, we are blessed. I am blessed every day with a reminder of God's love for me. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to be jumping around in the Bible quite a bit this morning. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. God says, Come, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your, skins are like, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Psalm 51, verse 7 says, Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Scarlet is a brilliant red color, with just a little bit of orange. Crimson is a deep red color, almost purple. That's the stain that sin has left on us. And when God forgives us, he washes it whiter than snow. 
Snow is a picture of God's forgiveness. I love snow. This has been a great year, right? We have had our share of snow. One of my favorite things is that when, it has, when we just had a fresh snowfall and then the sun comes out, it's so bright, it's blinding. There's even a term, snow blindness. That's God's way of telling me that I'm forgiven, that he loves me, and I'm washed whiter than snow. I don't know how you can get whiter than snow. When I'm driving down the road and I see that field covered in snow, I get a smile on my face because God is telling me he loves me. He's telling each of us what a wonderful blessing each of us have. I know when you're shoveling it, you're probably thinking, enough, God. Hopefully, you'll say thank you for the reminder that you love me. I want to spend some time looking at this aspect of God, his forgiveness, but let's pray and ask God to guide us first. Father God, thank you for snow. Thank you for that beautiful picture that though my sins are like scarlet and like crimson, though my sins leave a deep stain on my life, you, Lord, wash them whiter than snow. When I come to you and ask for forgiveness, you forgive me. God, as we look at your word this morning, teach us about your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. In this passage, Moses is being asked by God to come up onto the mountain, onto Mount Sinai, where he can write down the law for him. And he's going to reveal himself to Moses in a special way. He's going to pass in front of him. He's going to let his glory be seen by Moses. Exodus chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. If you remember, Moses went up on the mountain, and he had some, God chiseled out some stone tablets, and he wrote on them the law and certain things. And then Moses came down because God told him to go down because the Israelites were sinning, and that's the whole story about the golden calf. And so he goes down there, and he's so mad, he throws down the tablets, and he breaks them to pieces. Well, then God says, okay, Moses, come back up. And this time, you chisel out some stones, and I'll write on them. I think it's funny that God says, you know, hey, bring up some stones, just like the other ones that I'd made. You make these ones because you broke the last ones. He says, be ready in the morning, then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or to be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets 
like the first ones, and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning. And as the Lord commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God tells Moses that he is a forgiving God. God is holy. He cannot tolerate sin. He is a consuming fire. And he has every right to punish sin. Because all sin is ultimately against him. And yet because of his love, he chooses to forgive sin. In Psalm 85, verses 2 and 3, it says, You forgive the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside your wrath and turned away from your fierce anger. In Psalm 130, verse 4, it says, But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Feared meaning worshipped. His forgiveness should inspire worship from us. And when I see that snow-covered field, and I'm reminded that my sins are forgiven, I oftentimes say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well, let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, starting in verse 25. This is God speaking. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He blots out our sins. He chooses to remove our sin. And because of who he is, not because of anything that we've done, He puts his character on display as a forgiving God. And therefore, he should be worshipped as such by those who are grateful for his forgiveness. Not only does God blot out our sins, but it says he remembers them no more. He forgets them. It says the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, No longer will man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He forgets our sins. What an incredible thing. He keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't say, okay, Jerry, I'll forgive you again. Do you realize that this is the 47th time you've done this, though? No, he doesn't do that. That is lavish forgiveness. 
When we come to this New Testament, we see yet even more pictures of how forgiving God is. Turn to Luke chapter 15. This is the familiar story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arm around him, and kissed him. Then the son said to, the, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Here we got this kid, selfish, wants to do his own thing, and says, Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. Just give me my money and let me get out of here. He leaves and lives up the party life. But when the money runs out, he has to get a job. Not a glamorous job. He's feeding pigs. And not only is he feeding pigs, he's so hungry that he wants to eat the pig slop. Finally, he comes to his senses and decides to go back to his father. He was in a condition that really mirrored his life. And he said to himself, my father's servants live far better than I do. I'm going to go home. He didn't expect forgiveness from his father. In fact, that's the last thing he expected. He said, I'll just go home and be a slave. If, I could, if, the, if that's all that I could be, that would be great. At least I'll have a roof over my head. I'll have food to eat. I'll just go home and be a slave. So he starts back on the road. And you can almost see him rehearsing his little speech to his dad. What am I going to say to my dad? Father, forgive me. Oh, I know I've blown it. Talking to himself as he walks along the road. And then we get this beautiful picture of forgiveness. 
Because what does the father do? It says that when the father sees him, he's still a long ways off, but he recognizes his son. Does the father say, oh, yeah, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind? No. He runs to him. He runs. And then when he gets to him, he grabs him, a big bear hug, kissing him, telling him how much he loves him. And I can almost imagine this, this picture. The father is hugging him and just saying, oh, thank oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for bringing back my son. And the son is trying to do, give his little speech, and the father's not even listening to what his son has to say. Because he's so happy that his son has come back. Before he gets the sentence out of his mouth, he's being hugged by his father, he's being kissed by him. He's, his father's saying, go get my best outfit. Go get some sandals for his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We are going to have a party. We are going to celebrate. That's lavish forgiveness. That's our God. That's how he forgives you and I. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told this by Paul. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. How do you imitate God? How do you imitate God? Well, if you notice in that verse, it says, be imitators of God, therefore. Remember, if you see therefore in the Bible, you ask, what's it there for? It points you backwards. What does he say? Verse right before this one, chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. How do you imitate God? You forgive one another. We imitate God by forgiving. And it's not a shallow forgiveness. It's a deep, lavish forgiveness. Paul says the same thing in Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other whatever grievances. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When someone sins against us, it's really God that they've sinned against. Because ultimately, all sin is against God. It's His holy standard that's been broken. In Psalm 51, David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. David wrote this psalm after Nathan, the prophet, came to him and convicted him of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah, having them killed, but ultimately he sinned against God. And so when someone sins against us, it's ultimately against God. And if he can forgive them, 
We must be imitators of him and forgive them. But you might say, you don't know how they hurt me. You're right, I don't. I realize that maybe some of you here have been hurt horribly by others. You may have been hurt very deeply. But what did Jesus say when he was on the cross, suffering for your sins and for mine? Even though they'd beaten him beyond recognition, they spit on him, they drove nails into his hands and his feet, they mocked him. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's lavish forgiveness. He loved them. He loves us. He has compassion for us. All that continued while he was on the cross. The most God-like thing you and I can do is to forgive. Now let me say at this point that I honestly believe that we are to forgive all offenses all the time. My enemies and those who hurt me and hate me, they probably won't ask for my forgiveness. And yet Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them. And that requires an attitude of forgiveness. There are going to be Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who hurt you and offend you. There are going to be Christians who do horrible things. Maybe, they've do, maybe they retaliate against you because you did something to them, or they may imagine that you did something to them. For whatever reason, they may hurt you. And I really believe that it's essential that we extend to them kindness, tenderness, and a forgiving love. With the understanding that there can never be restoration of that relationship until they repent. The relationship can't be what it was until they are willing to seek restoration and forgiveness. But let me tell you, we can't wait for that to happen. Look at your home, your marriage, your family, when those sin against you. Are you going to just accumulate a laundry list of wrongs and hurts and keep piling it up and keep piling it up and keep piling it up? I think not. I hope not. I hope that out of your love for them, you just pass those things by and you choose to forgive. You choose to imitate your heavenly father and forgive those things. If you don't, bitterness can result, and you will end up carrying a very heavy burden. The final point I want to make is one of warning. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 14. 
For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The issue of forgiveness is so important that if we are unwilling to forgive others when they sin against us, God won't forgive us. And you might ask, what do you mean by that? Are you saying that if I don't forgive someone, then if I die, I'll go to hell? No, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. You see, in the Christian life, there are two concepts. There is justification and there is sanctification. You've probably heard those words. Justification has to do with your eternal destiny. When you come to faith in Christ, you confess that you need Him as your Lord and Savior. You confess your sins to Him. He saves you from your sins. He forgives you. He justifies you. He declares you not guilty. That's a done deal. Once and for all. But after we've been justified, we enter into the process of sanctification. This is where God makes us more like His Son. It's here that our unwillingness to forgive others can have an impact on our spiritual growth. The point is this. If you're not willing to forgive others, then God's not going to forgive you. And if you're not being forgiven, then two things happen. First, you forfeit blessing. And second, you come under discipline. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. The parable of the unmerciful servant. If you recall, one servant owes a lot of money to the king, but he can't pay. So he comes to the king and says, I can't pay. Please have mercy on me. He begs for mercy. The king cancels the debt. He forgives him. But then that servant goes out, finds somebody who owes him just a few dollars, He can't pay. He throws him in jail. He's not willing to forgive this man, even though he begs to forgive him, be forgiven. And what happens? Verse 32. Verse 32 says, Then the master called in the servant, You wicked servant, he said, I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. He's handed over to the jailers to be disciplined. And then Jesus says a very sobering statement in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What started all this, this, this parable of the unmerciful servant? Peter asks Jesus a question in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I don't, not seven times, but 77 times. Or seven times seven, some translation have. 
Our forgiveness should be continuous. Peter asked a question, how many times? Seven times? That's a lot, God. Because I think in, the, the, uh, in this time, if, you, if it was three times, that was enough. That's what the Pharisees would say. Three times is enough. Peter says, I'll go even above. I'll say seven times. God says, no, not seven times. Seventy times. Seventy-seven times. Or some seven times seven. Seventy times seven. 490 times. Jesus is saying, not just once, not twice. You, when they come and ask for forgiveness, you forgive them. And so he tells them a story. And says, if you don't forgive them, my heavenly father will treat you like the king treated the unmerciful servant. Matthew 5, he says this in verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar and go your way. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. Now, this is very basic. If you have unsettled grudge against someone, settle it. Reconciliation needs to precede worship. Where there is bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, you need to do everything you can to resolve it. That's why forgiveness is so important. When we are unwilling to forgive, then we are not being imitators of God. And if we are not being imitators of God then we are not growing in our Christian walk. If we are not forgiving others, then we are not being forgiven. And our relationship with God is impacted. And if our relationship with God is impacted, how effective will we be in serving Him? If our relationship is hindered, we're missing out on blessings. Do you feel like God is distant? Like he's not listening to your prayers? Could it be that you're unwilling to forgive someone? Forgiveness is hard. And I don't have any magical strategies. I don't know how to do this. I can't say do A, B, and C and it'll all work out. Maybe this is where we learn from each other. Iron sharpens iron. If you have been hurt by someone and you've been able to forgive them, share that with us. Share your experience so that we can learn when we go through hard times and need to forgive how to do that. Maybe you're like the prodigal son and you've been living your life your way and now you find yourself eating pig slop. Maybe today is the day you come to your senses and start for home. Your heavenly father is waiting there for you. He's longing to see you come home, ready to throw his arms around you and forgive you and rejoice over you. Or maybe you need just a little reminder that you've been forgiven. So as you travel home today, look out at the snow and praise God for his lavish love. And forgiveness. If you need to do business with God today, I urge you don't leave until that's taken care of. I'll be up front afterwards. I'm sure some of the other elders will join me. We would love to pray with you, to talk with you.
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for snow. Thank you for the picture of your lavish love and forgiveness. Lord, help me to imitate you by forgiving those who've hurt me. Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that they would confess their sins to you, that you can lavish upon them the riches of your love and forgiveness. Lord, if there are those here today who have gone through hard, hard things and have been able to forgive, I pray that they would be bold and share with others so that we could learn how to do something that is very, very hard to do. Thank you for loving us, Lord. In your name.